Good morning. I want to start off this morning, as I rarely do, with a story. And I'm going to get straight into this story. I've got a picture of a certain Australian icon that I think we can see here. The Sydney Harbour Bridge. Sorry, I'll chew my peppermint up first. Just talk, talk amongst yourselves. I wanted my breath to be fresh for this, but 60 seconds wasn't enough. Might have to drink as well. How are we all this morning? Anybody else thirsty? Okay, there were these two guys who were painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And I don't know whether you know, but the Sydney Harbour Bridge is very large and it takes a long time to paint. And apparently when you get to one end, basically you start again at the other end. And they were sitting on the top of the bridge up there with their safety harnesses on, with their legs dangling over the edge, eating their lunch. And one of them looked at his lunch and took a bite and he said, these sandwiches are disgusting. I don't know why my wife makes me those. I hate kale, quinoa and cottage cheese sandwiches. He said, if I get these again tomorrow, I'm going to jump off the bridge. He has, turns to his mate and says, what about you? His mate looks at his sandwich and he says, yeah, same old, same old. And the next day comes and they're painting the bridge and they stop for lunch and they sit on the top with their safety harnesses on, their feet dangling over the edge. And this guy opens up his lunchbox, looks inside, takes his sandwich out, looks at it, puts it back, undoes his safety harness and jumps off the bridge. The other guy looks at him, well, looks at where he was, and looks at his own lunchbox and opens it up, takes it out, sure enough, it's the same as it was yesterday. So he unhooks his harness, jumps off the bridge. At the funeral, the two wives console each other. And one says to the other, she says, if I knew that he hated kale, quinoa and cottage cheese sandwiches... I'd have made something else. Why didn't he ask? It's, this is tragic. And he said, she says to the, the other wife, she said, what did you give him for lunch? And she says, well, I don't know. He always made his own lunch. <laughs> and so the moral of the story, and if you see the headline, can you imagine the headline? Sandwich boring. Man leaps to death. Um. The moral of the story, if you like, is that we need to be clear about the reason we do things, otherwise our actions lose their impact. So last week, Nathan introduced the term justification to indicate the powerful nature of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And so t today I want to cement in our minds, in our hearts and in our spirits just how important this idea is in the way we act out our Christian faith. So that we're going to look at the final two, chapter, uh, two verses, sorry, well actually the final four verses of chapter 2. It's just that number 2 that got me confused. And they're very powerful, not just in the sense they pre present a very powerful theological viewpoint, but also because they make us examine the motivation behind our actions when, we, when it comes to doing the right Christian thing. Uh, an important point to note when we're reading through this is that Paul is actually talking to Peter. 
This isn't a broadcast message. He's buttonholed Peter. He's grabbed him by the shirt front and he's saying to Peter, listen, this is what I want to tell you. He's doing the finger pointing and the, and the sort of the very aggressive male-to-male bonding sort of experience that we see throughout the Bible. Do we actually see that in the Bible? I'm not sure. So I'm going to read it to you and you can follow along if you've got your Bibles, but you need to have the message version if you're going to follow along um, and have the same as what I've got here. Because the message version, I think, expresses this very succinctly but in very plain language to what Paul is saying. And so he starts off, Galatians chapter 2, verse 17. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? That's actually in there. I didn't add that. And, some, and are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me, who go through Christ in order to get things right with God, aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ, therefore, must be an accessory to sin. The accusation is frivolous. Now what he's, meaning, what he's saying here is if we assume that we become perfect when we're saved, then when we look around and find out that other Christians aren't perfect like us, anybody ever thought that? All these other people, they're not perfect like me. But if we, if we think that, the obvious conclusion is that those other Christians, God is letting them get away with sin. In fact, He's helping them. He's allowing them to become Christians and I can see they're doing things wrong. Why is God so blind? Nobody ever thought that. So you look around and you find that the house of God is full of people who are just as imperfect as people outside the house of God. How does God put up with us? And yet, this is essentially his point. When we're saved, we're actually not made perfect. And in fact, perfection isn't even something we can achieve. So this is where we, we fall into the trap of looking for other things besides our faith in Jesus to make us feel good, to make us actually feel righteous. Because we somehow feel that God's missed the mark. And people aren't righteous, so we need to find them something to do to make them righteous. What a good plan. Brilliant thinking. This is what Peter's been doing. And so Paul goes on, he says, If I was trying to be good... I would re- be rebuilding the same old barn that I torn da- tore down. Now, why he's torn down a barn is not, not the point. I would be acting as a charlatan. Does everybody know what a charlatan is? A charlatan is a trickster or a, a fraud. So he's saying he would be fraudulent. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman and became so that I could become God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I, I identified myself completely with him and indeed I have been crucified with Christ. Now of course Paul wasn't literally crucified with Christ and neither are we. But when we become a Christ follower, our sins are crucified or paid for with Jesus. Does that make sense? So let's read on. My ego is no longer central. Repeat after me. My ego ego is no longer central. Do you believe that? No, people aren't sure. It's very 
interesting that Paul starts with that one. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you. Now if I'm saying that, that's what I'm saying. I no longer have to appear righteous before you. And you can point right back and say, I no longer have to appear righteous before me. Yeah, you get what I mean. Or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Fool. You wonder Paul doesn't get struck down by lightning just for saying that. He's saying he's not put here on this earth to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. So Paul's saying he's not trying to get into God's good books so that Jesus will be his friend. Rather, because he has the faith that Jesus is already his friend, he gets to have a relationship with God purely because of that. Pure and simple. So, he goes on. It is, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. In other words, to take it back. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily hard words so let's put it a different way well first of all Paul has this is the crux of the matter this is the really important point living a life of rule keeping makes a mockery of your relationship with Jesus if we understand that the relationship we share with Jesus was not only possible because of his own death on the cross then we we should want to be sharing not just his life, but his values. So it's not a question of adopting a set of values so that God will be in relationship with us. It's about having a relationship and adopting the values of that relationship. Because that, who knows, that's how it happens with people. We are actually who we hang around with. We and, and Proverbs tells us that uh, bad morals corrupt good character. And that, actually no, Bad friends or something. Read, read Proverbs. Bad company. That's it. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so we've got to be careful who we hang around with because we naturally adopt the values of the people we hang around with. So if we look at our values and we don't like them, we actually need to look at the people we're hanging around with and saying, what have they, what have they put into me that is the wrong thing? Perhaps I should hang around with someone different. So think of it this way. Let's have a, a real-life example. Think of a scenario where you've got a man and his wife and their three kids and they're asleep in their house. Dead of night, suddenly the fire alarm goes off. The man wakes up, wakes up his wife. There's smoke filling the room. He goes in and wakes up the kids and sort of stumbles out of the house onto the front lawn. And they're coughing and splitting. The house is going up in flames and he does a head count. His wife's there. His eldest daughter's there. His son's there. One's missing. The youngest one isn't there. He turns to his wife says, I love you. Races back into the house. Flames everywhere. Staggers out with the third child in his arms. And his youngest daughter is saved. But he's burnt so badly that he dies of his injuries. And this is the headline in the paper. 
the next day. Man saves daughter, dies of injury. When we look at that, what do we feel? We feel sad that he gave his life, but we feel that it was worthwhile because he saved his daughter. There was a great act of heroism and sacrifice to save somebody that he really loved. The thing that you think when you see that is, wow, that guy really loved his family. But imagine a different scenario where you've got a fire and there's the same family and they stagger out of the smoke and he does a head count. His wife's there, his eldest daughter, his son's there and his youngest daughter's there. He kisses his wife, says, I love you and races back inside the house and stumbles out a moment later with his iPhone and falls dead. And this is the, this is the headline you see. Man saves iPhone, dies of injuries. You don't think, wow, this man loved his family. You think, wow, this man was an idiot. <laughs> At least those sensible ones of us do. And so what, why, do we feel, why do we feel differently? All Android users are thinking, why did he bother in the first place? Um, we think differently because it's a waste, wasted life. It's a, a pointless waste of life. To go in there and to save something which is so easily replaceable. That isn't a human life. The, the difference in the value of the action is totally changed. So what happens if we apply the same principle to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? If heaven had a newspaper, then the headlines that day would have read something like this. Jesus dies on the cross, mankind saved. Everybody can go, phew, amazing. It's good news. In fact, guess what? That is the good news of the gospel. And this is what Paul is preaching. This is what Paul is teaching and celebrating in his life. He's excited because he's received that headline. The same as we've all got that headline. And that's Wonderful news. And Paul is upset with Peter because Peter's been swayed with a group, by a group of people who have seen that headline in heaven and thought, it needs a bit of copywriting. It needs a bit of editing. It's sort of, our newspaper's a bit edgier than that. We've got to have something sort of that changes it slightly. And so the people that Peter's hanging with have essentially changed the headline of that newspaper to read like this. Jesus dies on cross, mankind discovers other way. And you sort of think, well, if mankind's discovered another way, then why is Jesus dying on the cross? It's actually unnecessary. And so if we could save ourselves, Jesus' death is pointless, meaningless, and a total waste. Everything we've learnt, we could just pack it up, go home and have lunch. Doesn't mean anything. So you can see why Paul is a little ticked with Peter. He shirt fronted him and said, Look, can't you see what you have done? You have corrupted the message of the gospel. Because if we go back to the first one again, this is a message of hope and good news. This is, this is like the, the sigh of relief that the Israelites have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years that Jesus has died, mankind is now saved. Whereas the next one says Jesus died on the cross trying to save mankind 
but it turned out to be unnecessary, and if we work hard enough, we can find another way. Now, to me, that, that's, that's a message which says somebody tried to do a good thing, but it didn't work, and I'm still going to have to work like stink to get what Jesus might have got for me. That's the simple message of what Paul is trying to get across to Peter, that he has corrupted the message and actually condemned mankind to trying to search for another way for the rest of eternity. So that's why we don't take that message. We take the first message. So I'm going to leave you with another story. I know you're saying, it's a bit early, he can't leave us yet. I don't think I need to labour the point too much more because I think hopefully we understand what that message is about. And the story I want to leave you with is actually a true story. Now the only true stories I know are about me, so I'm sorry. But and Vicky actually just involves her. It involves her and a friend of hers. Because when we first knew each other, which happened to be a long time ago, we actually went to primary school together. We were in year six and seven at Wollonga Primary School. Wonderful little primary school. But when it came to going to high school, I went to Wollonga High School and Vicky went off to Woodlands Church of England Girls Grammar School here in Adelaide for the first three years of her secondary schooling. And uh, so we, we saw each other on weekends and we did the usual things, hunting, shooting, fishing, uh, motorbike riding... Back in those days, it was fashionable. <laughs> and uh, during that time, because I know this is hard to believe, but Vicky was very shy. She was a very quiet girl. And when she went to a school that she had no friends at, um, she was regarded as basically a nobody and found it very hard to make friends because she was shy. But she had made friends with this particular girl who had come from a very well-to-do family and had befriended Vicky. And so Vicky would go to school and she would talk about what she'd done on the weekend, as people do it. That's what you do at school, right? And I, I would come up every so often as part of that weekend. But because Vicky was very shy and quiet, this girl, whose name also happened to be Vicky, strangely enough, didn't believe that I existed. She thought that because Vicky was quiet and shy, she was making up stories to make herself appear normal and to make herself feel good um, about her life. And so Vicky had come to school and she'd talk about what she'd done on the weekend and who she'd been with and the fact that I was there and we were doing all these exciting things. And, and this other person thought, this poor girl, she's, her life is so bad she has to make up stories about her weekend. Now this is, this is, this is real, this really happened. And so in about year um, 11, no, 10, year 10, I think it was, uh, Vicky actually invited this girl down to the farm for the weekend to show her that I actually existed. <laughs> and this girl readily came because she was quite prepared to debunk this myth of this, this boyfriend by that stage. I think I could safely say that we were um, kissing. saying we weren't doing anything more than that it's just had trouble getting my feelings out um and so th this this girl 
is at Vicky's place, and I turn up on, ooh, thank you, <laughs> something else for the offering. <laughs> I turn up in the afternoon, walk in the house, this girl screams when she sees me and sits down. Not because, I, I don't think I was particularly ugly back then, <laughs> ruggedly handsome young man. I did have my shirt on, so it wasn't that. Um, because she was convinced that I was a fictional character. And to discover that I was actually real was actually a huge shock because she suddenly had to rethink her whole idea of who Vicky was and what her life was about. She had assumed that she was a nobody with a boring life who had to make stuff up to be real and yet she discovered that the person that she'd been talking about did act and was ruggedly handsome. <laughs> now... Apart from advertising my rugged handsomeness, the purpose of that story <laughs> was to actually parallel it with our relationship with Jesus. Because, you see, we don't have to prove our relationship. We don't have to justify our relationship with Jesus to other people. Because whether or not people believe we have that relationship is immaterial. The fact that this other person didn't believe that Vicky and I knew each other or that I even existed, was actually immaterial to the fact that Vicky and I did spend our weekends together and it was quite real. <laughs> no matter what she thought about it. Now when she discovered it was real, it was a bit of an epiphany for her. And she had to actually acknowledge that I existed. <laughs> and the thing is, that's good. It's great when people acknowledge that our relationship with Jesus is true and exists. But the thing is, because we've got that relationship, it's there. I mean, Vicky never asks me. She never comes up to me and says, are you real? Do we actually know each other? Sometimes she says, are you for real? But we, we don't ask each other, do we, do we have a relationship? Do I know you? It's obvious to us that we have a relationship. And guess what? Our relationship has rules. But we didn't actually set the rules in motion first. We didn't say, okay, let's have a relationship. These are the rules. Let's have a rule that says um, Vicky gets lots of shoes. <laughs> no, look, can, can we negotiate that, that Vicky gets lots of shoes if I get lots of technology stuff? Oh, I don't know whether you should get a lot because technology stuff is more important. We didn't work out the rules first. For a start, I didn't know she was going to want so many shoes. <laughs> Nine-year-olds aren't that into shoes. Um, so I, I, had, I was oblivious. What happened was that as our relationship developed, the rules fell into place because we determined what was acceptable in our relationship. We abided by those rules. Why? Because we loved each other and we respected our relationship and we wanted it to continue. <laughs> and so that's where the rules came in. What Paul is saying here, that we are Christians because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The rules, if you want to call them the rules, come from our relationship with him. We work out what Jesus wants out of that relationship. He knows what we want out of the relationship. We want stuff. I'll be, be honest. Most of us want stuff. We, you know, it's great to have a God that we can pray to. Yeah, 
I'm not against stuff. And we think, whoa, we can just pray to God for everything we want in Jesus' name. And then we look at, well, is stuff in Jesus' name? Now, then we have to work out what stuff is actually godly stuff and what isn't. And then we have to look at our attitudes and say, well, we want to hang out with Jesus, but he says this is not the way he operates. I like to operate that way, though. Jesus doesn't like me operating that way. That's fine. I don't care what Jesus says. I want to go by my rules. And guess what? It affects your relationship with Jesus. So, and Jesus said, well, that's fine. You don't follow the rules. You have your rules. I can accept that. It's just that we, we don't get to hang out together. But if we're interested in hanging out with Jesus, guess what? We tend to follow his rules. We know what he likes. We do what he likes. He knows what we want. He gives us what we want. The relationship works so that when we understand his character, we understand why he acts the way he does. When we understand his character, we understand that he wants our character to mirror his. And we begin to act appropriately for somebody having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't actually read the Bible and say, well, these are obviously the rules. Let's see if I can work out a relationship using these rules. That's not how it works. That's how Peter wanted it to do. Because he wanted to add rules. He said, okay, I'm going to have a relationship with God, but I'm going to be special because I'm going to get circumcised because I know God likes that sort of thing. And I'm going to be a special, I'm going to have a special relationship with God. You sort of think, Peter, I know a good counsellor. You should be seeing him on a regular basis. And so, and Christians often, we, we approach God that way. I'm not, I'm not going to a church that doesn't preach the Bible the way I think it should be preached. Because how can they have a relationship with God? Because they're not following the rules the way I follow them. That's, that's putting the rules in place first before you have a relationship. Let's have a relationship and see how the rules pan out for us. Guess what? Who's married here? Who knows that just because we're all married, the rules within our marriages aren't all the same. But does that mean you're not married? Does it mean it's not a good marriage? Well, if you don't follow the, our rules, it isn't. It's like, because ours are the best rules. They work, because we've been married for 35 years. So if you don't follow our rules, your marriage must be crap. <laughs> In fact, I'd go so far as to say that you're not married. And I, I think it's fake. You should have it annulled straight away because you're not married because you're not following our rules. That's what Christians say to other Christians. You're not in my church. You don't, you don't have the same doctrine. Your, your uh, booklet of what, I, what you believe doesn't say exactly the same things. So you can't be a Christian. In fact, it's probably not even a real church. And, yet, and, and we let people get away with that. What we need to be saying is, how's your relationship with Jesus? Are you, are you really tight? Well, it's a bit distant. You're a bit distant? Hey, I can help you get your relationship back together. Not by telling you the rules. Because your rules are different to mine. God treats people differently. I, some people, God is very serious. God introduced me to him with a joke. And he's forever playing pranks in my life. Now, some people feel uncomfortable with that. Sometimes I feel uncomfortable. He can be very naughty. He's a bit like George Clooney. Anybody ever seen an interview with George? He, he pranks people all the time. Apparently at the moment there are people all around the world who have got letters from Brad Pitt using his letterhead which are all written by George Clooney. 
And he says in about a year he thinks he's probably going to jail. <laughs> and I don't know what the, what was the point of that story? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and so when I, when I talk about God, and sometimes I talk about God as though he's a bit frivolous, because he has a degree of frivolity about him, but some people don't experience that, because you're not frivolous. But you see, our relation, my relationship with Jesus is slightly different, but it doesn't mean yours isn't real. And just so you know, it doesn't mean mine isn't real either. Just because God doesn't get frivolous with you, I, I feel sorry for you. I think you're missing out. Now you might say, well, God is really deep and serious with me. And you don't get that sort of relationship in your frivolity. Possibly not. But hey, I want to have the relationship I have with Jesus. And I want to make my relationship deeper in the way that Jesus relates to me control that i didn't say well i'm not going to get saved till god tells me a joke just happened that way because god knew what would attract my attention he does silly things because he knows how, how to get my attention if he got serious he knows that i'd probably ignore him just a warning to all of those of you who get serious with me <laughs> if i get if my eyes glaze over i'm not being rude really but well perhaps i am so the rules we follow as christians must come out of the relationship that we have with Jesus and not rules we put into place thinking that they will find approval with Jesus so that he will want to have a relationship with us. Here's a list of what we are like if we get it the wrong way around. We become sanctimonious, not sanctified. We become lost and not loved. We are fearful and not faithful we get jailed instead of being justified. We are law-bound, not love-bound. We are faulty, not forgiven. And we're religious and not righteous. Let me ask you this morning. Which way do you see yourself? Do you see the problems? Do you see the faults? Do you see the religion, the law, the fear... Are you sanctimonious? That's a good word. Look up sanctimonious. It means you're holy, holier than thou. In other words, you're better at Christianity than Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> Have you ever met people like that? Listen, I'm so good I could tell God what to do. Often known as so heavenly bound, be good. So how we see ourselves, how we see that relationship, is actually hugely important because it determines our Christian walk. We can have a real walk or we can have a fake walk. And they're indistinguishable to most people because they look the same. But it's the motivation behind it. Some people's walk is based on doing the right thing because they're hoping to please God so that one day he'll have a relationship with them. They're what I call the lonely Christians. The other people are doing exactly the same thing. They're walking a Christian walk, they're, they're looking good, they're, pray they're doing it because they have a relationship with Jesus and they're building that relationship. One of those two is saved and one isn't. 
Because we don't get saved by the rules. We get saved by relationship. And so I want to give people here this morning an opportunity to forget the rules and start a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I say forget the rules, it doesn't mean abandon the rules. Who knows that there are certain ways that we live that are important to live that way because they're inherently good. But that doesn't mean they get us into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the Bible tells us to renew our mind daily. It doesn't say, as Joyce Meyer used to put it, it doesn't say throw it out. Christianity isn't an unthinking, blind faith in God. It's actually, God calls us to renew our minds as well. But he says the start of that journey is based wholly and solely on a relationship. And if we're going to start on a path that is going to make us more like Jesus Christ, then we actually start to have, a, have to start to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to do that, it's, it's like any relationship. My name's Chris, what's yours? Good to meet you, Brendan. We've introduced ourselves. Now I know Brendan. Married to my daughter. How did that happen? <laughs> God works the same way. If we want to have a relationship with him, we have to introduce ourselves. Now, we, we, because we're religious people, we, we, call it, we don't call it an introduction, we call it prayer. We pray an introductory prayer where we, all we do is we actually state before God that we want to accept him into our lives. We want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ and we're prepared to declare that publicly. See, Christianity isn't a hidden religion. It's a public one. And it's also not a solo religion. A lot of people believe in God, pray, have faith, and don't ever go to church. Now, it isn't a rule that you go to church, but it's a damn good idea because it's how God ministers to his people. It's how he builds community. There's a, there's a huge section missing out of your Christian faith if you don't go to church. I don't have to tell you that because you're here. But it's a community relationship. God doesn't want us just to have relationship with him. He wants us to have relationship with others. And the way we do that here is that I'm going to invite you right now just to close your eyes. In fact, I'm going to tell you to close your eyes. No invitation. And while people aren't looking around, I'm going to give you the opportunity if you're here, you have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you would like an introduction this morning. Or if you've done it before and you feel that you've got far enough away that you'd need a reintroduction, Jesus never stops giving us chances to be reintroduced. Then while nobody's looking around, every eye is closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to indicate to me that you want to actually do that introduction this morning. To actually say a prayer that introduces you or reintroduces you to Jesus Christ. So can I ask, while no one's looking around, if you're here this morning and you want to make that introduction, raise your hand right now clearly so that I can see it. I'll ask you to put it back down again and in a moment we can pray together to introduce Jesus into your life. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to do that? Raise your hand nice and high. Cool. 
Can everybody looking this way, can I get you all to stand? Can I get that slide up again of the list of sanctimonious and I want you to look at that list because that's a transfer list. You can actually move from sanctimonious to sanctify. You can move from lost to loved. You can move from fearful to faithful. But you need to ask God to go with you on that transition. So before we close, what I want you to do is look at, one of the, look at those. And if there's anything there you think, well, this week I've been a bit fearful. I don't want to live my life like that. I want God to bring that confidence into my life that I am so loved that there is nothing that I attempt that isn't going to come true. There's nothing that I can't do with his help in my life. If you realize that you're perhaps more religious than righteous, and none of us do because we're all proud people and we'd never admit to it, but quietly sometimes perhaps some of us need to say, God, just take away that spirit of religion. Allow me just to rest in the idea that I am sanctified in your eyes with no effort on my part. You might feel that you're imprisoned, that you're struggling to do the right things, but you never seem to be able to get it right. You feel like you're in jail. And you need to pray this morning that God lifts that burden off you and you can see yourself as justified. You don't have to seek others' approval. You don't even have to seek God's approval because he says you are justified. So whatever it is this morning, I want you to start praying. Praying for a transformation from left to right, from one to another, from fear to faith, from law to love, from religion to righteousness. Just begin to believe that God is moving in your life to achieve that. Holy God, mighty Jesus. Holy Lord, Holy Lord. Mighty God. Sometimes that unworthiness can manifest itself in terms of sickness. If you're here this morning and you're sick, whether it be a cold, whether it be a broken limb, whether it be skin disease, whether it be whatever, I want you to, if you can, in polite company, lay your hand on that place on your body and begin to believe right now that you are justified, that you are healed by the stripes that Jesus bore on the cross. See, do deserve healing. And that God actually wants to heal you. He wants to bring that healing that he desires that you be whole and healed. Lord, I pray right now that as people pray for that healing, that you grant it in the name of your son Jesus by the stripes he bore. I proclaim healing right now in Jesus' name. Have a blessed week.
Remember, it's your relationship with Jesus that counts, not the rules you follow.